Hi, everybody. Hi, Kath. <laughs> hey, Nora. How are you? I'm fine. Good. I'm loving the weather. This is a woolly story you found. I was going to say, it's too bad it's summer because we're going to gather some wool, baby. Oh, <laughs> and knit yourself a great big sweater. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit of a wool gathering story, but I'll try and keep it practical. You know how everybody's like obsessed with digital distractibility and how we're all, you know, get constantly getting pulled out of the moment and, hey, hey, I'm over here. Pay attention. <laughs> um, so there's been a bunch of books and stuff coming out about this, and we've done a ton of stories on Spark about this. So Matthew Crawford has a new book out called The World Beyond Your Head, and he is an academic. He's been on Spark actually before, uh, who's done stuff about kind of the virtue of work and working with your hands. He's sort of one of those Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance yeah, type yeah, yeah. guys. He believes in leading with your ass. <laughs> yeah, he has a great quote somewhere in the book where he says, um, involve your ass and your mind will follow, as opposed to for your mind and the rest will follow. Anyway, so he... Uh, so I'm going to think about that this weekend. <laughs> so he's arguing in this book that basically if we want to tackle the problem of digital distractibility, that it comes down to this idea of the self, this very highly individualistic, highly cerebral living in your head notion of the self that he tracks back all the way to the enlightenment to mm -hmm. like Kant and Descartes, I think therefore I am and all that kind of stuff. And, and trashes them all. And trashes them all. And he's arguing that shared attention in the physical world is really what is important to us. So that there are two things. One thing he's arguing for is real grounded physical practice where you let yourself kind of get in a flow state like he uses the example yeah. of repairing motorcycle engines or something like that or specifically around the idea of shared attention to a project so like where you and I are involved in something together and we're not you can't see Kathy but she's staring at the ceiling um, <laughs> where you and I are shared in some kind of project together in the real physical world as opposed to just being just in our own little spaces. Like it's a real mm -hmm. challenge in some ways to virtual reality because he's saying, I'm not talking about crowdsourcing. I'm not talking about you and I trading tweets back and forth. It's being together in physical space and doing something that's a shared focus of attention together. I agree with that, but well, because like as a writer, I wonder, could I share with other people? Because he's talking about really sharing about, you know, mm -hmm. like it's not crowdsourcing, right? Mm -hmm. So do you think it's possible for people to do that? To go beyond the self, to create something larger together? I think so. I mean, I think I'm a very collaborative person. I like working in small groups. Yeah. I call it happy collaboration. That's my favorite way to work. And I find it's a lot less stressful. You know, there is that idea of the solitary genius or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, writing, I think, is a special pursuit that is inherently quite solitary. But other things, I think collaboration is a very good tool. Oh, but, yes. but I also think that he, you know, he's arguing for, like, because he gives the example of tinkering in your workshop, right? Which is uh -huh. your an analogy of working on your own, right? But um, yeah. I think maybe to use another thinker of the same time. It's a bit like Rousseau, right? He has this thing when he's talking about democracy, about how you retreat and you think and you come up with your ideas, but then you go back into public space and you debate and you discuss, right? I think it's a dialectic in a way between those two things. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah. Boy, that was bull gathering. Ah, I have something that's new, agey, <laughs> 
who actually you will probably like this thing. The Welby is a wristband. It's made of suede and I think cork. And what it does is it picks up any changes at all in your heart rate and your heart rhythms. And it sends you down a path that it's time for you to engage in activities like mindfulness, yoga, meditation. Mm -hmm. And I think it even keeps a register of sort of your history of the kinds of things that typically stress you out. Oh, I'm going to see Kathy. Every time you see Kathy, you get stressed out or whatever, right? It predicts those kind of events where you typically get stressed out. Do you? No. (laughs) I love seeing you. No, I don't know. It was... What did you think of it? At first I thought, oh my God, do we really need this to tell us that we're panicking Mm -hmm. like aren't you kind of aware of the fact that you're starting to panic but i think that your body probably does pick up even if it's like 10 seconds before your head does if your body can tell you that you are about to enter a panic state i think every second counts in terms of panic attacks and emotional Mm -hmm. shifts yeah, I, I, I truly do. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I used to be kind of skeptical about these types of things because I felt that, you know, they kind of took us away from listening to our body. But in a way, and I say this as somebody who's been meditator for a long time, it's very easy for us to get forgetful about what our body is doing. And especially when you start to get in that kind of spinny mode, uh-huh. it's, it's difficult to just recall, okay, look, step back from what you're doing feel how your body feels, relax, and take a deep breath. And it's interesting because after I read about this, I was listening to the Buddhist Geeks podcast. Oh, yeah. And they were doing a whole thing on the future of contemplative technologies. And there's this whole huge growth area in, like, technologies that uh, monitor all kinds of aspects of mindfulness, like your brain waves and all this. It seems like there's a lot of energy and attention around this. I guess because mindfulness is such a big well, yeah, Buzz well, I'm, now. Yeah. I'm like right in the middle of a huge mindfulness course. Yeah. And Are you enjoying it? Unbelievably so. Really? Yes. And it's so simple. The, this is a little off our topic here, what we normally discuss, but it's the simplest little things. If you're getting upset, rather than following the emotion, put a word to it, I'm sad. Uh-huh. And you take that word and you put it on a conveyor belt and you watch it go by. Huh. And that's all you do. You do your best not to, you can, no adjectives are allowed. Right. Nothing else. You just observe it. But the trick of it is not to get involved in a narrative around the emotion. Mm -hmm. That is really, I would say, the heart of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Mm, Fascinating. Yes. I would like to know if people would use this kind of thing. Would you try out one of these devices that tells you when you're stressed and <laughs> teaches you techniques to, uh, I've read to deal every with book. it? Yeah, that's right. I've, been to, I've taken so many courses. <laughs> my, but I've learned a lot. Good. You know? That's great. I'm proud of you. Thank you. But you meditate, don't you, daily? I do. Well, not daily. That's what I mean about the forgetfulness. I know I should do it, and I don't. Yeah, imagine if you had one of these machines, and what if it had something that zapped you and made you do it? <laughs> Meditate. Relax. <laughs> Come to the blog. For links to these stories and more. Thesniffer.net. <laughs> Bye. Bye.